We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's time to find out how many different ways you can ask the same questions about transfers. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can find me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Hello, everybody. We're back. I really apologize. Last week, uh, I, I went to Scotland, and it was beautiful, as beautiful as I expected. It turns out, and I don't know if this is a well-known fact, they, uh, they're sort of known for making whiskey there. And... Um, I am sort of known for drinking whiskey. So this was a very symbiotic kind of situation. Uh, But combining that with the fact that the place that said we have internet meant that like they had the edge network and you could get a text message if you had 25 minutes to download it meant that doing a podcast was virtually impossible. Now, Paul and Scott did a Patreon pod that came out yesterday. Um, I think it's really interesting sort of data dive into the season. And I really want to praise Paul for his data usage there. I mean, Scott, for his data. Well, you know what? You listen to it. You be the judge. But uh, setting that aside, what we're going to do today is a transfer mailbag bonanza. You send in your questions on Discord, on the Patreon side, on Twitter, on the Twitter side. I've got them collated. There are some brilliant questions. We're going to get to as many of them as we can. And um, just a couple of heads up on things we're going to be doing. We're going to start our video review of the season where we'll review our own players, We will uh, probably do a scouting review of Saliba with the news that's come out. We'll touch on that just briefly in a moment. Um, We did a scouting video for Saliba earlier, but we want to update it with with the latest and see what might have been going on with him this season that got him so much praise. And a lot more in the pipeline, including an Academy review with some special guests and things like that. So lots to come, but here with me now is Clive. You can find him on Twitter at ClivePFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. How you doing? It's funny, for like two and a half weeks, I've been doing podcasts where I'm apologizing for needing my voice to recover from me not taking good care of my body. And like eventually, <laughs> something's going to give here. So I think it's time for me to start taking better care of my body. Uh, look, we have a lot of questions about it. Let's just start with it. Um, and and I'm just going to be the first mailbag question person because there's so many questions and I can't really pick one. So thank you to everyone who sent them in. But essentially, Clive, how do you view the latest news about Saliba's future impacting both what will happen um, with him at Arsenal and our transfer plans for the summer. 
So my first emotion and gut emotion is, oh, that's really good news because I've had my worries about him. Um, I think I even said in the live show, I worry about things that take a long time. Time kills deals. I was the word I think I used. That was the and, turn of phrase you used. Yep. And mm-hmm. and when you're going through like a house buy or something like that, or you're going for a new job, the longer it takes, the less likely you're going to get it. You know. And um, but I think you know I, I'm pleased. My general emotion is you got to be pleased. I mean, if you look around the world, you look around. You know, centre halves under the age of twenty three and look at their minutes. Elliot, I'm sure you have done that. <laughs> and. Uh, and he's right up there on experience level, and he has broken into the French squad, and they're not—they're not bad, are they? That squad, you know. And um, he's—they uh, just got embarrassed by Belgium, but let's not discuss that. Yeah, they are there with—I think it's Denmark. Was it Denmark? I don't want to say Denmark. Oh, was it Denmark? Yeah, they got embarrassed by. Yeah, someone. I think it's only two late goals, right? No big deal. No uh, one again, cares. Again, I refer you back to to my internet slash television situation I've been in. <laughs> Drips and drabs, drips and drabs. Yeah, it was Denmark, two late goals, but let's be honest, France are star-studded where they can afford to leave Ibrahim Kanate out of the squad, although he got back in when Varane broke down. And so, you know, Saliba is our version of Kanate, really, and um, and Liverpool are not a bad side, are they, right? So having three strong centre-backs is no bad thing. What's your yeah, gut feel? I mean, well, so here's the thing, I, and I, I have to admit, right, like, let's just be honest. I have been saying for a while that I didn't think he'd come back to Arsenal. I have to be consistent about that. That's been my gut. Yeah, um, I think the fact that, and it's a lot of factors. We don't need to rehash all of them. But the fact that when he was here last season before going out, Arteta didn't find any minutes for him. You know, which again, maybe he didn't warrant those minutes. We don't know. Uh, the fact that his number was taken away and given to White, which again, we've seen that happen with big signings. It's it's not the first time it's ever happened he seemed quite happy in France. There were there were noises, you know, about his his hard life with Arsenal or the the hard situation. And just enough things that I added them all up, and to me, it looked like a situation where it wasn't going to work out. And we see this in American sports quite a lot, where there's a draft pick, Clive, that was made by the previous regime, like a high draft pick. They really liked him. They had targeted him, and then the new regime comes in. And they don't have an attachment to that person. And the the skill set of that person isn't something that they are connected to. And they just say, you know, it's, it's not a guy we want, really. We want to move another direction. Now, that's very different when you've paid 30 million pounds for a young player and when that young player is making headlines out on loan. I think the good news here is this seems to be, I would imagine, coming from the club saying, you're coming back. We You're in the plan, and we want you to be here. And the player has two years left. And I think the only issue I have now is this feels like a re-sign or sell moment in a traditional scenario. If this was a traditional player who'd been playing for us, we'd be looking to re-sign them or we'd be looking to sell them. And so I'm going to hold out just that little bit of doubt that some of this is posturing for the market. Just a little bit, right? Because if you're Arsenal and you don't think he's going to re-sign and you want to sell, the last thing you're going to say is like, he's not in the plan. If you're Saliba... You know, you can't afford to be like, I'm not going to go back to ours. I, I don't think he has the leverage to do that. So I'm I'm split. What I would say is I think if he is coming back, it's fantastic for us as a club because the last yeah. thing we need to do is be spending on center back this summer. I don't think that's a priority. And if he comes back at whatever level he is ready to integrate, it makes that group, I think, look sufficient to get through the season without further additions, which helps us strengthen in the areas that are much bigger priority to me. So just in terms of my nonsense speculation... Do you think I'm just being whiskers with yes. the whole 
he could still go. Th- so you don't you don't think there's any aspect? Well, it doesn't matter, right? It, it, it's what you're right. worried about. What are you worried about? His value is protected. His value is protected. He's got minutes. Everyone's seen him in Europe, mm-hmm. and so he's in the French international squad. He's probably worth forty mil minimum, right? So if we were trying to buy Ibrahim Canate right sell now. Summer? Well, not necessarily. We're, we're, we're buying Gabriel Jesus, hopefully in a little while. He's 25 years of age, one year to go on his contract. I don't see any bargains there, do you? I don't I, see I anybody. Mean, don't seem to want a bargain. But, no, but I don't we'll see any bargains there. I don't, um, Sadio Mane potentially going to Bayern Munich, 40 mil. I don't see any bargains there. You know, there's no bargains anymore if there's a market for you, if you are good. Right, so to be fair, inflation is happening everywhere, Clive. There's no bargains at that the gas gas station either. No, there so. isn't. I think um, <laughs> I think there was an issue with Saliba that maybe people haven't been focusing on, and I've been focusing on it really. Half of it is maturity. You know, he he might you know he might look like Van Dyke, but his birth certificate still says he's 20 years of age, wherever it is, right? So. Same, and he, same, he yeah. it was he was very when he came over it was very unfortunate circumstances when he when he joined he was trapped in his flat during the very early days of lockdown wasn't able to go more than one kilometer from his house wasn't able to train came into Arsenal with a big number next to his name and basically wasn't in shape to impress was so far off it that people were concerned very concerned. Was it a lack of professionalism? Was it a, around the Ascent Etienne Cup final? There was a few little things that happened there, lots of different rumours. But in the end, he, he through very unfortunate circumstances that were unique in our lifetime, he was he came back and he was not in shape. And I also have taken a decision to get him in shape. Now, whether you agree with some of those things, which I don't agree with, he should have been in that Europa League squad that first season round, wasn't in it. He should have been part of our squad, in my opinion, Arsenal took a very concerted approach, stuck him in the twenty-threes, and, and potentially damaged the relationship. So, went to Nice, smashed it, got to Marseille, smashed it, completely French Young Player of the Year. We're sitting there two years ago on the contract. We are in a good shape. Now, he comes back in. My issue, my only worry, Elliot, this is my worry, we have a cult figure centre-back that hasn't actually kicked the ball for our club in a first-team competitive game. And whatever happens, there's going to be a focus on it. I look forward to the day when there are, <laughs> to quote Tim's line, where there's less noise about the people not playing. Do you see what I mean? If he yeah. doesn't play, can there be less noise about it? When he does play, can we just enjoy it? My feeling is, if he plays brilliant, people are going to say, well, why wasn't he here two years ago? Why do we have Rob Holding playing in North London Derby? Blah, blah, blah. Why do we have to have Cedric playing in North London Derby? Could have played right and right back. We could have. You can imagine it, can't you? You can imagine what's going to happen. If he plays bad, oh, that, you know, that's just why we sent him out. Blah, blah, blah. It's, it's just going to be traumatic, right? I just hope for a nice, serene introduction into our back line because we need that type of player and because he's very, very good. I think some of that is more online issues though than, than actual issues in the sense that if he comes in and plays well, of course there will be arguments online of the I told you so brigade saying like he should have been playing. We didn't even need to buy Ben White. We could have just brought in Saliba and but like there will be people but in the ground and in the team and in the dressing room and on the table, if Saliba comes in and is playing well, things are going to be good. And when things are good there's less of the I told you so. There's less of the recriminations and internecine warfare. There's just more happiness, right? So yeah. 
I think if he's bad, there'll be a lot of people wanting to get that final boot into the people that suggested he should have come, come back straight away. Yeah. But if he's good, it's going to be good for the club. And things that are good for the club tend to, I think, elevate spirits. That, that's enough on Saliba for now. We're going to have time. I mean, I, we're going to have a whole preseason where, do you think it's fair to say he might just be slightly over-scrutinized in the preseason? <laughs> well, I, I just look, I look at it from a squad perspective. <laughs> I look at that group of centre-backs now, White, Saliba, Gabriel, and potentially Rob Holding as the fourth guy. That's not a bad set, you know. Generally, mate, that is not a bad set. You know, you, that compares with a lot of teams. And look at their ages, look at their potential, look at the time they could be at the club. That is, yeah. if it works out, that is proper, proper balance and business. You know, it really is. And I like uh, it. Yeah. It, it just yeah. fits. It fits. It fits from a ball progression. It fits from where we stand on a halfway line. That we got recovery pace, we got size, we got ability on the ball. Mate, there's a lot there. There's a lot there to work with. And the oldest player in that group is 23, maybe 24 max. Right? So Rob Holding at some point potentially may need to go and sow his wild oats somewhere else and be a first-team player. And then we bring in somebody younger and underpin them, right? And probably a lefty and go from there. And it, it starts to look really quite nice and with a little bit of foresight. That's where that's what we're saying today. <laughs> but we're one tweet away from <laughs> disaster. <laughs> and that's how I, we I mean, live. we're always we're always just one tweet away from disaster. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so uh, this is an interesting question. I think related to a particular target. So Umesh Badri at Umesh Badri at, says parties made eighteen and twenty three starts in his two Premier League seasons. S Z N S. I love that spelling. Mm-hmm. Seasons at Arsenal. This drop off in his absence has been a big factor in failing to hit our targets in both. Seasons. Samby isn't there yet, and Mo ain't the answer. With the added games next season, shouldn't this signing be prioritized this summer? Now I'm going to combine that with a question from JD at excited underscore B. Could Zinchenko play six at all? Would be hugely valuable if he could play left back, left eight, and six. I have to admit, he's a player I hadn't had an eye on much. I've been looking at him a lot lately because of the links. He seems really interesting to me, and I'm wondering if you think a party a party alternative is a priority and is Zinchenko someone who might might be uh, in the conversation for being able to handle that role? I think I can't help but look at the group again and my thought processes around centre midfield have changed. And let me explain why, Elliot, right? So I mean, maybe it's partly doing the centre-backs and, and because where we play now and how we play that position and the distances by which we play in have just changed. So a couple of years ago, Unai Emery, big pitch time, I was always talking about Basuma and a leggier player, more physical player, we're being outrun. And what I failed to recognise at that time was the distances by which we were covering. And of course we were being outrun. We're not a very mobile team playing in big distances, front to back, and also holding our wit from both sides. And it's just a big space we couldn't deal with, right? So... So I was always the one to talk about more physicality, more speed, to cover the gaps based on what we've just seen. Then I'm looking at how we play now, and the game is played in inches, literally. It, you know, it's literally a 15-yard depth. It, it feel, it's so small. and it's, So we need different types of players in midfield, people that can technically receive it on the half turn, can play in inches, can counter-press, 
can manipulate the ball, move it quickly. And players like Tielemans and players like Shevchenko, as soon as you see them, you think, ah, here you go. That works. That works for what we're trying to do. And my thought process is around, you know, historically around a Basuma, for example, who I really, really like. I don't see... He could easily play six in our system and be a better El Nenny because he's quite smooth on the ball, quite aggressive, quicker into wide spaces. But I don't see it as a priority. I see the eights as a priority, if that makes sense. Having those technical players that can move the ball with agility, receive it, keep it moving, like flowing through water, like flow through like a sieve, and it just goes through the player and straight through to our forward players who receive the ball early so they can do their thing. And I'm looking, as soon as you see Shishenko play the other day against Scotland, tell me you weren't thinking that would work in our team. It absolutely oh, yeah. could. I mean, that, that's one of the things that, that really caught my eye. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, Scott, you know, Scotland wasn't, wasn't great, but it's still, you can see the qualities on display. I thought Ukraine were excellent. Let's see what happens against Wales. We are recording. By the way, listening. can I stop you just real quick? Mm-hmm. Because uh, I was in Scotland for that game, yeah. and and you know the people you're around isn't, aren't necessarily representative of the whole, but I have to give that nation huge credit for their reaction to losing and their appreciation for Ukraine. It was just, it was a really interesting response, at least where I was, and the response. Yeah. I mean, they were disappointed in their team, but they were happy for Ukraine. There were Ukraine flags flying in Scotland, like it was, it was just a really nice thing to see yeah. at a time when. Quite frequently, football fans aren't always so kind to one another, you know? Yeah, and I think that if you watch the game closely, which I'm sure you did because you were there. Um, well, through, uh, through the whiskey, yeah. <laughs> as a footballing contest, there was only one team on that pitch, wasn't there, apart from maybe 15 no. minutes. I mean, it was beautiful patterns. This was no fluke. This was no smash and grab. This was like, come on then, we're better than you. We're going to move that ball around you. I mean, it was just wonderful. Let's see what happens. Not a good Wells. first time for me to be looking at Aaron Hickey, by the way. Um, yeah, well, I'll come on to him in a little yeah. while. <laughs> but, <Yeah. laughs> you know, we're, we're recording this before the Wales game, right? So let's see what happens. But um, I think he was – the way we play that sort of left eight that drops out into left back, I mean, <laughs> suddenly you think, why didn't we see this? <laughs> you know, this is where the pros are just so good. I mean, if if the rumours are true and Arteta likes him and likes him play in midfield – Mate, that is like that's that's glove fit time. Do you know what I mean? Jesus fits like a glove. Chichenko fits like a glove. Tielemans mm. fits like a glove to what we want to do. You can see it, can't you? You can see it. And my concepts around what I thought was a midfielder and what we needed based on something that's gone wrong. This is where I think Arteta is teaching me and schooling us all. He's so solid about his principles about the specifics that it requires in certain areas. If these rumours are true, they fit what we're trying to do. And if you look yep. at other teams, they're just technically better than us in most situations on the ball. And in the end, if the, if the if the pitch is reduced and the spaces are smaller, your ability to manipulate that football and progress it and retain it under pressure, once you retain it, can you keep it for three passes? to catch teams when they're, when they're disorganised. Can you make the right heads-up decisions? I look at these players and I think, they can. And the more of those players we have, the better we're going to be. So, so your boy, Martinelli, will get the ball when he wants it. Saka mm-hmm. gets the ball when he wants it. Absolutely early, on a plate. Go and do your stuff one-on-one. Go and rip people. We need to 
enable these guys with better service coming from the centre of the pitch, you know, much much quicker, much more ingenuity. And I, I can see it now. I can see what he's doing, and it's changing my view on, on the game as a whole. Yeah, and I will say this. I, I think what you want to do with transfers is bring in tremendous quality, he says, using his galaxy brain, um, but also bring in players that you have a fairly decent ability to project how they will play for you, whether they'll fit your system, if they're going to perform well. Because transfers are a bit of a crapshoot. I mean, I don't think a lot of people would have predicted Lukaku to fail at Chelsea, for example. Um, and I I actually kind of like the idea, if Gabriel Jesus and Alexander Zinchenko are signings that we do get, because Arteta has experience with them. He will have seen them close up. He will have probably worked with them, know their attitude, know their personality, know their skill set, know how they fit into what he wants to do. And that just reduces the error bars on the signing, right? Signings have huge error bars around them. What I mean by that is, that's how a player like Gabriel Martinelli, who you think he might be okay, could wind up being way better than you thought, or... A Willian can be way worse than you thought. But when you've worked with them before, seen them firsthand in a system that's similar to what you want to do, I think you reduce the error bar. So I think it's an interesting signing. Let, let's skip ahead to another question. It's a more overarching question, but I think it is the question of the day. And this comes from Discord. Addy Demolisher, the man of the giant biceps, says, how many signings do we realistically need to make to be in the top four? Um, and what I will say, Clive, is obviously nothing guarantees you to be in the top four. So I will put it like this. As it stands right now, the betting odds have us two to one to make top four. What would we need to do in your mind to be closer to odds on? Um, well, without sounding too smart, we just need more goals, don't we, mate? We oh, you're going to sound too smart no matter what. So just don't, don't worry. There's <laughs> no stopping up, that, Clive. Occupational hazard. We need goals, right? We need we need a few more goals, and so if you, do you want me to go through it position by position, what what I think we should do? Oh. Yeah, I, I think that's a good idea, and and I mean, but I also kind of want to get your sense of what the the minimum you would expect us to do to feel that we had satisfied at least a minimum requirement to strengthen the squad this summer. So yeah, but if you want to go position by position, I think that's handy. Yeah, we we need we, we probably need about another eight more points. You know, for me, um, just over two points per game. That's that's where I think we need to be at, and we need a few more goals from one nil down. If you look at this season, we need a few more goals. We need to control destiny of more games, and I think that's the key for us. Once we control our destiny, we're a good side, right? So let's get a few more first goals. Let's be a bit more resilient when we do. If we do concede, that's what I'm. That's what I'm looking for. That's based on what we all know, what we've all seen this year, the numbers, and that's a little bit of recency there, but. Having forwards that really affect people, having the ability to rotate forwards that affect people, I think means you almost have to beat us twice. If we can get a number of forwards in and we've got two or three from the bench we can use every game, suddenly you bring on, you, you, with the five subs, it changes everything. It really does, right? So if I just go through what I think we need to do transfer-wise, mm-hmm. um, obviously mm-hmm. we've got a goalkeeper coming in, so we think Bernardo's going to move on, right? So we've got a goalkeeper position sorted out. Well, yeah, some, he's already bought. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we got the Saliba situation sorted out. I think that's very, very useful. If that participates a, a centre half game, which I don't think it will, uh, that gives a little bit of cover at right back as well. With um, with Ben White and Saliba can do that sort of Tommy Yasu style right back. I would like to see a right another fullback come in. I'm 
on the right side. But I know a lot of people are looking at the left side, and I'm not. I'd rather I'd rather coach the player that we have, you know. Um, but some people may say, let's stick him out on loan for a year and then and bring him back and use. You know, I'd rather coach Nuno for me, and I, I don't think he's far away. And the things that he can't do are very easy to coach, in my opinion. And we just need to give him some patterns of play to allow him to exit his own half, make sure he separates to receive the ball, and just play with a little bit more composure. And composure comes from separation. Separate from your he'll be man. An interesting, he'll be an interesting case study in whether a player can recover a deficit of trust from Arteta, because I think it is clear that there may be a deficit of trust there, and it'll be interesting to see if he can recover that. Nuno, Nuno I find the most interesting player in the squad. You know me, my I just finished coaching my son. That's why I got his coat on. People are wondering. You can see me on video. And when you see imperfect players with with high potential Pacifics, they're the ones that absolutely make you think. Oh my goodness! Just imagine if we can fix some of this stuff. How good he could be! Look at him. He's the fastest player in the squad. He's over six foot. Runs like the wings. Got two feet. Can travel. When he's near his own box, he still thinks he's the fastest player in the squad. And he tries to run it out. Stop that. Just clip it down the line. Not difficult, is it, Elliot? Make, when the ball's coming, prepare. A lot of preparation when the ball's coming. Drop away. Separate. So you, you've got more time to see the picture. And you're not, you don't feel you're in the crowd, so you've got to run it out. Spend Work harder before the ball comes to create the extra yard so you look better on the ball in defensive zones. Yep. Very simple, mate. Just give me 20 minutes with him, honestly. It's so easy to fix him. And the stuff he's got, that's God's given, well... <laughs> it's impossible to ignore some of that stuff. And the stuff he can't do, they're basics, they're fundamentals, just need coaching that he hasn't had. It's so, and I hope the club can coach him because I don't think we need to go and buy an Aaron Hickey, in my opinion. I don't see, yeah. I don't see any speed. I don't see any dominance. I see another neat footballer that we have plenty of that can be dominated. He's a very young boy, a developing player. If we were to buy him, he's a, he's a project. He's a ten million pound player. He's a project that's, that's got two feet and it has got really technical and really clever. He's like a young Kieran Tierney. He'd be Kieran Tierney's takeout in time to come, but he needs to grow. He needs to develop, and he needs time. So people think we're going to buy a nine-year-old left back for twenty million. He's going to start straight in. That's not going to be the case, right? He's, a, he's another project. So decide: is Nuno a project or an Aaron Hickey a project? For me, I'd work with Nuno in, in my personal opinion, but that's me. Um. In midfield, I do like the Shishenko thing. That's, that's grown on me. Um, I do like that. Um, and I do like the Tielemann thing. And I do think if Shishenko comes, I wonder if Shaka will go. I just, I just wonder. I just wonder because there's only one role for Shishenko. It's Shaka's role, isn't it? You know, that- I assume he came with the mortgage on the stadium. I, I, he can he can go. Is that <laughs> yeah? But you know, we are speculating a little bit here. But the way Shishenko can obviously play that pseudo yeah. left back role that Shaka is often asked to play. Do you know what I mean? If the full back bombs on, he can do that naturally. That part of the pitch, he just he owns it. It's a very interesting link, and not something that we would have predicted. But as soon as you see it, you see the sense, right? So Tiedemans, I like. I like his counter press. I like his punch. I really like his, his sweeping crosses. I like his wisdom out of possession. I really like that. And um, I think he's got something that we don't have. Jesus fits like a glove again. Elliot fits like a glove. Um, perfect for us. Punchy, pressy. 
I think we could develop into that pressing team that you wanted us to develop in with Martinelli, for example. That that's two amazing presses at the front door. Odegaard. And, and can you imagine on a corner if we have Martinelli, Jesus, and Megalliais in in the team? And the defenders are going, I've got Gabriel, I've got Gabriel. And like, which Gabriel? And the next thing you know, all the Gabriels are free. And it's, it's yeah. an easy goal every corner. So it's just. So I, again, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm educating myself over this summer break. Um, that you, that you, I think you gave us four days off, and it was it four days, <laughs> four days, five days. I am, I so, am a taskmaster. <laughs> I'm educating myself. And it's something that people have spoke to me on Discord a lot about. And I've always sort of dismissed it because we need other things to do. I was more interested in how we build up play. But now I'm convinced we've got build up. I'm convinced we're going to add the centre midfielders. I'm now thinking a lot more about pressing. A lot more about that. Pressing and counter-pressing. Once you lose it, win it back. I've been looking at some of these top teams and they're all better pressers than us. I know you've been talking about it for a long time. I don't think I didn't think we were ready for it. We didn't have the players. Lacazette's not pressing, is he? Let's be honest, mate. He's not pressing. Right? Aubameyang wasn't great at it. So what's the point? Pepe's not great at it. So what's the point of talking about pressing with those three in your team? Do you see what I mean? If you add a Jesus, you got Martelli, you got Saka, you got Odegaard. Oh, we can have a discussion about in- pressing. To be fair, in Inkedia can do it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. good shout. I'm glad you said it because Paul would be shouting. Might be a reason he would, a, a part of the reason he's he's in the plan for the future. You know, he's an unbelievable presser. So suddenly we we can have a discussion about pressing now. Let's sometimes let's not just talk about stuff if it's not possible. You know, if it's not possible with the players that we have, people complain about the manager. He's not pressing. He can't coach attack. Hold on. We, we can't do it with people that move like caravans on our backside. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, they can't do it. you got you got press when you like Aubameyang. Do you know what I mean? Pepe, talented on the ball, just waits for the ball. Right? He's not, he's not a presser. You know? Lacazette can't afford to waste his energy cycles, you know, pressing without, he, he can't be doing that. He does it on occasion, but we all know he takes half an hour to recover, right? So we can't have this discussion. Where we're heading, we can have this discussion. If we add pressing, counter-pressing, transition goals, win the ball higher up, I think, going back to your top four question, I think we can have that discussion, Elliot. We can have that discussion. Looking at some of Scott's charts about the top pressing teams, you look at those badges in the top yeah. corner of those charts. <laughs> I can't remember all of them, but they all want, they've got the trophies on the shelf, haven't they? They do. And, and I've been saying this for a long time. And, and because I tend to think in terms of goals scored and less about mm. goals allowed, I, I do think that it just simplifies what you need to do to get more goals. Um, yeah. The level of technical quality, the level of, really special elite attacking talent you need to break down a, a packed defense, an organized defense, is very different from the talent you need if you can take the ball off the team, turn them around, and have them running at their goal out of position. So I know that's obvious, but I think it will help us. Um, for me, the, the the summer breaks down like this, Clive, and I, I think it's pretty straightforward. I think we need three starter caliber players to come in at forward, at two at forward, and one at, in that sort of left eight position. So I think if you get a Jesus, I think if you get a Tielemans, and I think if you get one more attacker, then is that enough? I'm not saying it's enough. I think you could go into the season and you'd have a shot and you could feel okay. Now maybe it's 
plus a Zinchenko, who can be left back, who can be central midfield, who can do those kind of things. And if that means a Shaka goes, then numerically it doesn't really change things, but maybe it elevates the group a little bit. Um, but it leads me to an interesting question about the squad. Well, can I ask you one question from, before we yeah, before please. you go mm-hmm. to that one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think we need a wide forward? Yeah, well, so so the interesting thing for me, and, and this is a question I I will I will answer your question with a question. Do you think there's any plan for Marquinhos to play minutes this season? Like any minutes? Because if he plays Europa League group stage and some domestic cup minutes, you know, on the right, that's, you know, time we're not tempted to use Gabriel Jesus if he comes in, not tempted to use Saka, not, you know what I mean? It, it can give them a spell. Um, because I think if you look at the group and you say it's Smithrow, it's Martinelli, it's Enkedia, it's Jesus, it's Saka, that's probably not quite enough, but if you throw in some minutes for Marquinhos to spell those guys, it it might get you through. I think it's still light, but I think it's doable. Um, but do you, do you think Marquinhos could be in the plan at all? I'm generally not sure. I, I've, I've watched all the clips like everybody else. You can't tell because the level you're playing against, right? And, yeah. um, I, I don't know the level well enough. I just look at his body power, core control, He's not one of those young kids that looks wispy. He's got real punch about him. Now, if you ask me the question, is he better than um, young Amari Hutchinson who's a year or so younger than him? I've got no idea, right? And I somewhat I rate, he's, he's, he's stronger. He's more developed right. physically. Um, I just I just think there's a room for another forward, Elliot. And for me, it's either a wide forward yeah. or a tall forward. And a tall forward that plays century that offers something that we don't have that maybe pushes one of our centre forwards into a wide area on occasion, like Jesus, for example. Because I'm just, you know, watching Saka play for England the other day, come on as left wing back, stand in a left back position, look very good immediately as soon as he comes on. Looks like an undroppable player for England for me. He's undroppable for us. At some point, please get that man into his flip-flops. Do you know what I mean? We yeah, have to yeah. find a way to not be so dependent on him. And it's so difficult because as soon as you see him, you think, we can't drop him. But we must look after that kid. You know, I'm so worried he's going to lose that zip if we keep overplaying him. M. Kenny in the Discord had actually said everyone knows the priority this summer, but a potential blind spot is cover rotation options for Saka. It's, it seems Pepe ain't it. Do you think it should be a priority and how should we address it? I don't, this is the thing. I would never have us buy a forward that we don't think is good enough to start for the Arsenal. Yeah. So, like, I'm fine with like a Marquinhos where it's a punt. But what I don't want is, is someone that we're like buying because he's got some Premier League experience and he's 28 and, you know, he's cheap and he could come in. And, like, don't buy someone in the attack who you don't think can come in and give you goals and assists and potentially be a great player that I, I think we have a good platoon of attackers. And what I don't want to mix into it is a mediocre option that we're just sort of adding to make up the numbers. I, I don't think that works. So like yeah. clearly Saka is going to need some rest if Marquinhos gets minutes. And, and again, I have no clue if he's in the plan, that would be interesting. If it is a Hutchinson or a Balogun who comes in and gets minutes, you know, maybe in the first half of the season, they don't go out on loan. They play group stage. They play the cup, the, the league cup, and then they go on loan in January. Yeah. All of that can help. Um, 
And Jesus could but also he, play on the right side, Elliot. You know, and yeah, well, no, he, he, he would be an option because Nketiah could play through the middle. Jesus could start on the right, and then you've got Martinelli or Saka. Uh, pardon me, Martinelli or Smith Rowe on the left. Hence um, my tall forward option. Get, mm-hmm. Do you see? Hence my tall forward option. Because when you yeah, have that Mourinho central, leaves Roma, could you get Tammy Abraham? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, yeah and, you know, there's um, I just got his thing for a tall forward. I just think. We don't have it. We're missing it. Skamaka is not leaving Italy, right? Oh, sorry, pardon me if I pronounce that name completely. Yeah, I wrong. think it's right, Skamaka. I we don't know, Elliot. We don't know because Inter Milan want to get um, Lukaku back, and if they put their money into Lukaku, they're not going to buy Skamaka. Uh, AC Milan have just bought Divo Carigi, another tall forward, good player by the way, uh, underrated, mm-hmm. needs to play, and will do really well for AC Milan. So they've got. They're not going to buy him. Um, Juventus have just bought some bloke called Vlaovic. They're not going to buy him. So in Italy, where can he go? Now, if if Tammy comes over to UK, he could go to Roma. He, I did a little bit of video watching. Wait, wait I got to stop. You said if Tammy comes over to the UK, he could go to Roma. Uh, Scamacca could go to Roma. Oh, Scamacca could go. To Sorry, Roma. Gotcha. mate. Yeah, could go. And so Tammy comes over to UK again. I wouldn't buy Tammy at that number. Chelsea got an 80 million euro release clause, but sorry, buyback on him. So to get him, you've got to pay more than 80 million euros to get him. I'm not seeing There's no it. value in the striker market. That's the problem. You're either it. buying complete punts, right? Guys who, who have a handful of goals. I mean, you look at the price tag that was on Alexander Isaac. No one's talking about him right now. No. Um, you look at Osimhen, uh, Abraham, Skamaka, Gabriel Jesus. I mean, and I like Gabriel Jesus a lot. None of these players are priced efficiently, and and no. none of them are proven. Gakpo is not proven. Like, so, so you know, I mean, what about well? Because someone asked this question, I I think this would be an interesting one. I don't see it happening, but it, this comes from Ahmet Tuni at Ahmet Tino Tuni. Is it worth letting a darling go, Saka, Gabby, Smithrow? And I can tell you right now, no, not Zach or Gabby, at least particularly, to bring in a Nabry at 35 million pounds as a ready-made replacement and have money left over to complete all of our transfers without gaps. My issue with the way that question is phrased is the 35 million does not account for the 300 grand or 350 grand a week this guy seems to want. But it does raise the interesting issue of if maybe you think Smith Rowe's talented but not going to get there, or maybe you think Martinelli is overvalued, do, do you know? Do you let someone go to bring in a, a more ready-made guy like a, a Serge Gnabry? Is is that even a player that you'd want to bring back to? Um, Serge Gnabry. So I've been trying to wean myself off of him, but then I watched him play Germany, Italy yesterday. Looks, he looks sharp, mate. He he's just effing sensational. He's just a really good player. You I mean, know, I, no I worry about it. He looks sharp. I. I worried about him. I looked at him. I looked at Kingsley Coman, and I thought, okay, Gnabry, you're quite heavily muscled. You had a few weight problems when you were younger. Let's see what you look like. Right? I'm trying to. I'm trying to say, yeah, you, you've lost it. You can't be that good. And then I watched the game. I thought, oh, good. You you are pretty good. <laughs> That's backwards, it. by the way. He's got it backwards. You're supposed to have the weight problems as you get older. If he needs any <laughs> information on that, get in touch. I'll let well, that's, that what, that's what happened to him with Tony Pulis, right? He, he had weight problems and he was he didn't play very well. He got injured and and then he came back, ripped in the Olympics and then came back to Arsenal, yep. a real asset, and we didn't quite handle it correctly. And it was, it was too late. Bayern Munich had tapped him on the shoulder. They saw the future and got him for five million quid, right? So, well, Gary, first he went 
he made don't remember, don't forget he made a stopover. <laughs> there was a little. Yeah, he went. To, he there. went to Werder Bremen, right? But that <laughs> yeah. that deal was done, wasn't it? And that's what that's what German was, clubs do. There's a pyramid, and at the top of the pyramid, there's one club. And and until the German league, I know Lewis is probably listening to this, but Germany needs to sort that out because <laughs> you can't because it's suffering. It's suffering because of what they're doing to underpin Bayern Munich, right? So um, and Dortmund no more than anybody else, and and so does RB Leipzig, where they can lose their major and their and their skipper and their centre half when they come second to Bayern Munich. So that needs to they need to fix that. So Canabri is diff- very difficult to ignore. Very difficult to ignore. But I have this thing where you, you shouldn't allow a player to come back. You know, once they leave, I just think for me, just move on, move on with it. But talent wise, he's 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 special, really. and if you want to lift the levels, he would definitely be someone to lift our levels, right? But again, we just got rid of. We're just about to get rid of a couple of players and big money. I'm not sure we need to bring somebody else in on big money to just sit. On that, I'd I'd rather see someone coming with the with the core values and want to be here for the right reasons for me. Yeah, and sometimes it's the weird little details. the The tiniest little details can affect optimum performance, Clive. And like, it could be a weight issue. It could be your training habits. It could be the boxers you wear. Your underwear can give you that that comfort level that that helps you perform. And I want to let you know that Manscaped has a phenomenal pair of boxers that come with their uh, latest offer that we're going to tell you about now. So according to Manscaped, sweaty sack summer is approaching and it's time for you to prioritize the comfort of your crotch. Look, they write it. I read it. Manscaped have spent two years designing the most comfortable boxer briefs out there. I've had the honor of testing out these new boxers and this is actually true. So we were going to go for a long hike in Scotland and it was going to be down by the sea and then up into the highlands into the hills and then back down and there was going to be climbing and there was going to be hiking and you know just looking at me you can tell that i'm probably not built for that and i was like i i need to grab one pair of underwear that's not going to chafe that's going to hold that's going to be perfect and i grabbed my manscaped boxers those are the ones i took on that hike and they performed brilliantly in fact manscaped even trademarked the jewel pouch so you know it's serious they're breathable they're comfortable. It's time for you to invest in your family jewels. So let your bulge breathe, it says here. And get 20% off and free shipping by using the code, uh, what is it, Arsenal Vision? <laughs> Should have remembered that. But you give me three days off, Clive. I don't know what the hell I'm doing anymore. At manscaped.com, promo code Arsenal Vision. Manscaped.com, promo code Arsenal Vision. You'll save 20% and get free worldwide shipping. Of course, the boxers will be even more comfortable when you've shaved yourself beautifully with the Lawnmower 4.0, the best electric trimmer for below-the-waist grooming, offering skin-safe technology designed to trim hair on loose skin. So once again, get 20% off free shipping with the code ArsenalVision at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code ArsenalVision at Manscaped.com. Once the boxers 2.0 touch your your privates, you'll never go back. I mean, there's, there's only so many things I'm going to read <laughs> directly off of it. And once you are comfortable in your boxers, you're ready to... Hire new talent, he says, trying to come up with a segue. That's right. Um, We're going to tell you about Indeed, the one hiring partner that lets you attract, interview, and hire all in one place. I want to tell you about a new feature, one that I think is inspired by the pandemic, but even outside of the pandemic makes life easier, and that is virtual interviews. With virtual interviews, Indeed saves you time. You can uh, message, schedule, and interview top talent seamlessly all in one place. Indeed makes it easy to connect with your applicants. No need to install anything extra. Indeed's virtual interviews work right from your browser. 
Saves you the headaches. With virtual interviews, there's no downloads, plugins, or purchases. You can do it all in one place. After using Indeed's virtual interviews, most employers said it saved them days of hiring time, according to Indeed data in the U.S. With Indeed's reliability assessment, they can even predict candidates' uh, effectiveness going forward. So, uh, virtual interviews, a great feature. Of course, they still have instant match. Sign up for Indeed now and get a $75 sponsored job credit towards your first sponsored job, plus earn up to $500 extra in sponsored job credits with Indeed's virtual interviews. Visit Indeed.com slash BlueWire to learn more. Claim your credits at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. You need to hire. You need Indeed. Clive, is that enough of that? Indeed. Nailed it. Okay. Back to the critical issue of transfers. And I'm going to answer a question, if you don't mind, Clive. Yes, you normally, you normally do that anyway, but go ahead. And I also usually make up the questions, and to be fair, then you normally answer whatever you want. So we all, we all have our own agendas here. You answer the question <clears throat> as you're asking it, and then ask me. <laughs> which That's is normal. right. I say, here's my question. I say, here is the answer. Now you, you speak on what you're interested in. KB at MFWB17 says, at what point does your brain switch from, quote, it might happen, to, quote, it's happening with transfers? For me, it's Ornstein saying it'll get done. And until then, it's just a rumor. This seems like a silly sort of fun question, but I actually think it's somewhat important because you can get pulled from pillar to post, get mad at the club, get frustrated with the club, all over something that was never real to begin with. Yeah. And so... It's funny. I don't single source it. Ornstein is a good one. You know, there are obviously reporters that I don't believe the veracity of their reporting and others that I do. But you also have to remember some reporters have access, but the access is to the agent. The agent has a reason for spilling a story, right? Some have access to the club. The club have their reason as well. What I tend to do is I look at a cluster of people who in general I trust, who I think have access to good information, who I think have a reasonable attitude towards transfers. You know, they're not super roped up and absorbed in. And I I try to look at this cluster of people and say, at the point that they all seem to be talking like they think it might happen, I tend to start to invest a little more energy and interest and exploration into it. The, The Tielemans transfer is a good one where just the whispers and the noises among people who aren't transfer obsessed, who I do trust, who seem to be acting as though they expect it to happen, has, for me made it feel like a fait accompli. Now, look, that doesn't mean it it might still not happen. But I do think that it is important that if you're going to get frustrated with the club, and we are all entitled to get frustrated with the club or with the manager or whoever we want, that we do so on information that at least has the, the sense of credibility, enough of a sense of credibility to it that you're not just inventing a reason to be mad. You know, if I say Arsenal in shock swoop for Mbappe, and then we don't do it, and you say, ah, you know, where's our ambition? <laughs> you know, well, that you know, that was never a real thing. So I, I don't know if you want to weigh in on this, Clyde, but I do think that handling transfer season, first of all, look, there's two things. You can just have fun with it. You can look at every rumor. You can indulge in every rumor for fun. But if you want to really analyze what the club's strategy is and then really effectively react to the club strategy, you do have to have a filter and you have to have a process by which you determine what you think is a legitimate effort and what isn't, you know? Yeah, I enjoy the transfer window, as you know, and I but more so to to learn about different players. Um, I love learning about new players and how they play. I think we got a much greater picture of how Arsenal play now than we did this time last year. We didn't really yep. flip to the four three three four diamond two till 
you know, just before Christmas or mid mid October, November last year, we started to notice that Shaka was pushed up a little bit more. We started to discuss it. And so we developed into a different shape. And we haven't got the specifics for the shape that we want to play. We haven't. No, that is not... We, and Shaka is a good example of that. Fine player, filling in. He's not an advanced eight. He can do it. That's not his primary position, right? So... So we need to get a bit more specific. And, and what I do is I just try to enjoy the players that we're linked to and then try to mesh them into the group. And I try to, I like to guess as well. I love a guess, right? So, uh, you know, I love to sort of predict somebody that might come in based on how I think we are playing and what we need to add, you know. And I love putting it out there and say, this guy would suit, this guy would suit. And it's just for enjoyment point of view, because when it comes down to it, right, a few blokes, you know, in talking about Arsenal on podcasts and looking at their Twitters, we we don't have the 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 links that we think we may have. But some of the guys working for the Athletic, for example, they do have the ability to understand a little bit more about the strategy due to links that they have. And yep. so I, I tend to look at those guys. And if you're if you're smart and you listen and you read really read and really see between the lines you can almost feel when something's about to happen yeah and when it's yeah when it's real or not and that's the bit i enjoy just the speculation of what we could be what we have been well it's just yesterday it, right but we are looking a little bit more defined in what we're trying to be in my opinion so. yeah and you know it's interesting because there are some people clive that'll say i don't care until he's on the official site holding up the shirt and that's okay mm. to do it that way but where I think you miss a little something doing that is if you can, with some certainty or some confidence, ascertain what rumors were real, what moves we were trying to make and didn't get done, I do think there's a benefit to analyzing what got done and what didn't get done. You know, yeah. because you can't judge the club only by what they execute on. You'd like to be able to analyze what didn't get executed and think about yeah. why it may not have. Was it a bullet dodged? Was it a missed opportunity? I mean, we know, for example, this goes back many years, Arsenal were in for Xabi Alonso. Xabi Alonso was coming to Arsenal. We know that. Yeah. And it didn't happen. And it was didn't a last-minute thing. Yeah. <laughs> like we, like we, a million we quid, you believe and, it? And, and it was a huge mistake, in my view. Huge but like, mistake. That's an example of, of a rumor that people say, well, we don't know that it was ever true. I feel pretty confident with the information I have that it was absolutely true. And we didn't do it. And and so that gave you an opportunity to analyze the club. So it's all very interesting. Um, so I'll give you a couple uh, well, more. You know, maybe, uh, well, let's talk, let's talk about one that did go away. Alexis Sanchez was going to go to Liverpool. And we nicked yep. him. Can you imagine him playing for Liverpool in that Aaron pressing Ra system? Aaron Ramsey was going to go to United. Yeah. Yeah, that was, yeah. yeah he wasn't going to United. That's, that was a long time ago. Let's give you one from last year. There were three players mm -hmm. we talked about this time last year. We talked about Odegaard and Buendia Madison and, and Buendia. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, Madison, remember those yeah. three? Madison, Buendia, Odegaard. And we were having great debates about that. And we were trying to, we were saying the Madison's be expensive. Odegaard, well, we've seen him. Is he going to be worth it at 30 million? You know, Buendia, oh, he's two footed, he's punchy, really good player. And we we were quite comfortable with any of them, really, weren't we? We weren't like, you know, yeah. we, were, we weren't overly invested in any of them, but we liked them all. End up with Odegaard. And you've got to say, you've got to give the club a round of applause, because for me, he's the best one. 
I think he's. The got, funny thing is, there are people I've seen who still think it should have been Madison, which I think is interesting because I I, yeah, I disagree. But I, I I can't help but look at the numbers, so I don't think Madison is twice is worth thirty million pounds more than Odegaard. Yeah, and it would be nice we could have, we could have had them both, right? Because I think Madison's got he's a very multi talented footballer, so I think wants a move but can't get away because of the contract that he's signed, right? So. And he, and he's somebody that I think would suit our club. But we've got Smith Rowe, who's sort of that in betweeny type player that can play high, can play inside. And so why would you invest in somebody to that level of expense where you've got somebody in your academy that could do that role or could develop into something very, very close to that role that scores goals for fun, right? So whereas I think Odegaard is unique, being a lefty, playing in that slot, and he enables Saka, and suddenly you think, Randall applause club, you've made the right decision for the players in our team. You know, and um, yep. and so, but enjoy that process, right? Enjoy it. I enjoyed it. Yeah, we know we're the right one. So this is interesting. There, there's. I'm going to combine a couple of questions here because I, I, I obviously Alexander Lacazette is done at Arsenal. We've waved goodbye to him. Um, and Zilch on the Discord says, at the end of the day, was Lacazette a downgrade on Giroud? Then Gentle Mango says, there's been a lot of talk about buying two strikers. Isn't buying two expensive strikers, Jesus, Awesome Hand, David, uh, David Nunez, whatever, repeating the Laka-Oba mistake? I think it's interesting. So yeah. let's start with that. Lacazette is gone. Really good. I, 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 think, I don't think he was a downgrade on Giroud necessarily, but I don't think he was an upgrade. And I don't think he was a player we wanted, and we went for him. And a window later, we went for another striker. So, in terms of Lacazette being a downgrade on Giroud, and in terms of not wanting to repeat that mistake this window, how do you how do you think about those two things um, and the way they go hand in hand? When when Lacazette came in, um, I think we all thought, oh, we're going to get a bit a bit more speed. We saw a lot of Giroud's faults and said, you know what, maybe Lacazette can be a little bit of what Giroud does, but with a little bit more oomph and. He didn't quite have the oomph for the full nine minutes of a game, right? So, in hindsight, mm-hmm. and I've said this, but if I've, if I've dreamt it or said it, Lacazette was a bad buy for us, in my opinion. I think he was a bad buy. We should have put the extra money to buy a Bamyang first time round that summer. We would have had a Bamyang and Giroud, and we'd have had a contrast in centre forwards, right? And and that's what we should have done, right? So. Can, can I build on that just with one super mm-hmm. quick thing, Clive, because I'll forget it if I don't. And I think it's a really interesting point. If you want to say Aubameyang wasn't available in the summer, Arsenal would have been better off buying no one and buying Aubameyang in January and then having yeah. the money to be a little bit more creative with it. And I think that's just worth thinking about when we think about this past January, for example. Had we gone for a player that was a compromise at center forward, well said. we would have been one window later buying another first-choice center forward, and it would have been the Oba Laka situation all over again. Just, you know, not saying January said. is perfect, but just something Beautifully said. And then we all wait, we all wait the players to, to fill the holes in our dreams in January. But hopefully we'll see in the summer <laughs> yep, well said. that we... Uh, that we made the right decision, but that's to be confirmed. But it's not it's not me down in Lacazette because he's been a fine player for Arsenal. But for me, it was a bad buy because we bought a Bamiang, and the Bamiang was was a, a player that we should have waited for. And Giroud could have done a lot of the things that Lacazette did to a higher level, and he's proven that because he stayed in the France squad. He took Lacazette's place, and he won the World Cup. Right, so there you go. And he's close to being France's record goal scorer. He just won the league of AC Milan. This is a player that that 
knows his role and knows how to do it. And given the fact that we went young, he would have been just as good an enabler as Lacazette, if not more so, somebody you can bounce off of. So, huge miss. And plus he knocked us out of the Europa, beat us in the Europa League final. Let's not go into it, right? So, um, a Why huge... Why bring these things up? <laughs> a huge miss. So, back to Lacazette. I think it was a bad buy. And I, not only that, he's been with us five years. He cost 47 million quid. He'd walked out for nothing. Five years, 180 grand a week. Didn't score more than 20 goals in any season. And I'm sorry, by being here, he blocked other people coming in, including Tammy Abrahams, who would have come in last year if Lacazette would have moved on. Tammy Abrahams would have come in at 35 to 40 million. You won't game with 35 to 40 million now. And sometimes with players who... St- this is this is something we're going to talk about a lot. Players that come in that don't want to go because the wages are too comfortable, they block you from moving forward. And it, it's, it's our fault. It's not their fault. We signed them on, right? If they don't want to go, and we're seeing more and more players leaving on free transfers, you've got Salah, Mane, Raheem Sterling. I think they've all got a year or so to go. I wonder how many of them are going to walk away for free eventually. Will they stay on? Will they go? It's a, it's a problem not just for us. It's a problem for many teams. We all want these signs to come in. But these transfer fees, you're literally throwing the money away. Because if you're Gabriel Jesus now, we're buying for 40 mil. What's going to happen? Do you think we're going to sell him? Or is that money just dead money, Elliot? You tell me, right? This is more your thing. Yeah. But to me, it's dead money, right? It's dead money. So we've got to keep yeah. your transfer prices down. Football needs to look at transfer fees because... The contractual rules now are so favoured towards the player. I mean, look at Paul Pogba. Crikey. They let him go. He was on their academy books. They let him go for free. They buy him back for 90 million. And four years later, let him go for free. I mean, what is that all about? Do you know what I mean? It's just incredible. The wastage That's is just like the too prestige great. worldwide business model from the Step Brothers movie. <laughs> <laughs> just a, Profit? <laughs> yeah. Well, look at Lukaku again. You know, another 90 million, whatever he's 96 million. They had him there as a kid. He'd gone away. They buy him back. And now they can't give him away, right? And it's just, and they spent 76 million on Havertz. There's too much wastage in the game. We've got to think about this. Arsenal point of view. For me, Lacazette was a bad buy. It's not his fault. He did fine in the end. But I think the Lacazette, Aubameyang, Pepe era, when we look back at that expenditure, that wages, and what we're getting back for it, I don't think that's good business, Elliot. I'm sorry, mate. No, it, it's clearly not good business. And and the funny thing is, Arsenal have been better and done better being clever in the market than yeah. when we've just tried to puff our chest out and spend money. You know, it, it is an interesting thing. And and so I, I like this question, though. Oh, and by the way, so I'll just add this to that. In terms of is buying two strikers this summer, Jesus and one other, repeating the mistake, the only reason I don't think it is we tried to shoehorn Lacazette and Aubameyang into the same team, and that meant putting Aubameyang out wide where I don't think he thrived. Gabriel Jesus can very comfortably play wide, and it's not a difficult transition for him. So if we buy someone who is more clearly a center forward and the two of them play together, I think you are much less in the realm of asking one of them to do a less comfortable task or wasting their skill set. So in that respect, I'm actually in favor, and not everybody likes this idea, I think your forwards should just be the most talented set of versatile frontline players you can get yeah. your hands on. I, yeah. I do not care for the target man striker concept. 
if you like it as a plan B, fine. Someone who can come in on 80 minutes and sit in the box and body people and win a first ball and knock it down. I mean, that's great. But I don't think you want to go spending seventy million to have that plan B. So, just a thought. Okay. No, uh, I, I, like, I think this is yeah, a really yeah, good mm-hmm. discussion, and because um, I'm, I sway on this massively, right? So, I look at Skamaka and I like him at the moment. I like him a lot, mm-hmm. you know, and I think he's got all round ability. I think he's quick. He's six four. He's got a banging shot, and he wants to let it go, mate. He wants to shoot. He wants to shoot like how you know Harry Kane takes ridiculous shots. This guy's the same. He wants to smash the case off the ball. He wants to shoot from anywhere. And I quite like that. I like We're getting that. Telemans for that. <laughs> <laughs> I quite like that. For rumors that we looked at Victor Ossiman, who's another leggy forward that runs the channels, good in the air in the box. So well, I say getting, so it's the wrong phrase, that we're interested in him. Yeah. Again, I like that player. I like that player. I, I'm torn between these versatile wing forwards. You know, I like Gakpo, for example, as a wing forward. People that can just manip- use, be good on the ball in different parts of the pitch and not be so one dimensional. And that's the issue with Bamyang and Lacazette. They're both centre forwards. One, one, I think Lacazette was more nine and a half, and Bamyang was more nine. If you're going to play Lacazette and Bamyang, you literally got to say, Lacazette, you're, the, you're our 10, you're our pressing 10, and Bamyang plays ahead of you. That was the only way they could work, and that's the way that Emery used them. You know, for that period, maybe quite well until they didn't. So, if that's your plan, then fine. If you haven't got a plan, then you got that's why it's a bad buy for me. But yeah, I, I take your point about the lack of versatility. I think we have versatility in Jesus, and I don't think we can make that mistake again. You have to be careful about going to one game and suddenly think you know everything about every player. So, I'm going to go and make that mistake right now. The one thing, especially <laughs> from this, the game I went to at the end of the season against Everton, maybe it was because the angle we had to the pitch. Yeah. The game is so fast. It's so unbelievable. The TV sucks all the speed out of the game somehow. And because of the view you have, you can see the options and it looks like there's always options. But from the angle I had, you're like, I don't know how they even complete a four-yard pass. The Premier League has gotten so fast and so aggressive in terms of closing down space. And so it's not enough to have pace and power. You have to have an extraordinary technical level to survive in the Premier League in the attacking third. You have to. Everywhere. And I mean, the reason I don't want Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who was winning every header and leaping over tall buildings, even against us in that game, is his second touch is a tackle. It, he, he does not have the ability to operate in those spaces. The reason I want an upgrade for Shaka in that left eight, you give him space like he has when he plays for his national team in the, in the international game, and he will kill you. He's such a good footballer. But you close that space down, and he can't shift the ball. You know, Odegaard in that game, there were a couple of moves there, especially for the goal where what he's doing in absolutely tiny little spaces with no time to operate is incredible. And yeah. I just want that technical level to stay high. And so I agree you know, with that. Can I and, counter that? And that's that? why Escamaca, yeah, please, mm-hmm, please. Can I counter that slightly? Yeah, please do. Yeah. Um, because I went to a game recently, as uh, Liverpool, Arsenal Liverpool, sorry. And I sat there and I watched this game. I watched it develop. And I looked at the Liverpool players and I looked at them standing over Lacazette and pressing us back into our own half. And I thought, we're done here. They, Martelli was doing was doing well that day, if you remember, against um, yeah, against yeah. Trent. Robson did a good job against Saka. So we needed somebody else. We needed somebody else to carry the fight. And Matip and Van Dyke just looked at Lacazette and said, you all right, mate? How you doing? And they just pushed us back. I mean, oh, my God, it was over. 
but they're a great, but they're a great example, Clive. Think of their they're well, the most well, was, pace well, was, and power physical team. Oh yeah, sorry, sorry. Well, no, you you're 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 absolutely right. Oh, maybe I shouldn't have stopped you. I couldn't get over the size of Liverpool. I couldn't get how tall they were, how athletic they were getting to the ball, how they maintained their attacks, how they counter-pressed. It wasn't ferocious. It was just dominant. It was dominant. We had a couple of 20-year-olds in the extremities of our team. We had a 31-year-old striker coming to the end of his physical prime. And once our 20-year-old kid, Martinelli, just ran out of puff towards the end, we had Odegaard that's been dominated by Thiago in that central mm-hmm. area. We had no way of challenging them. On that day, mate, I would have loved the Calvert-Lewin to run that channel. On, in, do you see what I'm trying to say? Uh, I, I would, hear you. I and he would have hear you. absolutely, the guy that played against us can run anybody, you know, when he's fit. Yeah. He is quick. He can jump. He can challenge. And he can he can challenge any central defense. Now, not every game is like that, Elliot. Do you know what I mean? But well, we have to decide in our squad. 80, yeah. You got to build your team for 85% of the games you're going to play, not the 15%, yeah. right? So, like, are there players I would get that are different players if every game was going to be against City and Liverpool? There are. But the problem is you have to beat – if you beat the bottom 12 teams twice in a season, mm. right, you're at a really good place. And then then there are a little but, – but the funny thing is look at look at Liverpool, who we think of as maybe the premier pace and power team in some ways because of their pressing and their, their relentlessness. But when I look at Luis Diaz, Sadio Mane, Mohamed Salah – Diego Jota, even Firmino, the the technical level is off the effing charts. Even Thiago, he's tigerish. But, I mean, the technical level is, again, insane. Trent Robertson, extremely good with the ball in tight spaces. Let's let's have this pace and power discussion, right? Because there are players I like that I've got, you know, I think the ability to, to win races to the ball, the ability to win duels is absolutely fundamental to the contest that is football. It's fundamental to it. If you're getting to the ball second, if you're not getting to the ball out of control, if you if you can't get your head up once you've won it, if you can't keep it, these things matter. Your ability to transfer the point of the attack and then run into the space that you have. Liverpool don't have any slow players, mate. They generally do not have any slow players. And if they do, they have got the fastest minds going. The slowest player they probably have is Thiago, but you look him over a five-yard burst and he's there. Mm-hmm. Right? He's absolutely there. And he's passing. He's Fabregas fast. He reads the game so well that he's in the spot he needs to be in. You know what yeah, I mean? He can get exactly. to the spot. Yep. Exactly. And Odegaard's similar in, in that regard. He's not super sprinty, but his brain is way yep, ahead of everybody exactly. else. And so just when, 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 if I talk about a player with, with speed and power, it's... It's something that jumps out to me that I think you need for the balance of your team. But it doesn't mean they can't play football. Do you know, that's what I'm trying to say. The Liverpool players don't look bereft of skill, do they? Do you know, they have got the ability, they know what they're doing, they play to a pattern, they play in areas and they keep the ball there and they put the yeah. ball where they want it to be and they win races to that ball. They attack, they slash, they drive, they shoot, they volume shoot, volume crosses and they keep you under pressure. It's a lovely style of football, which makes the, the game what it is, right? And um, it'd be interesting to see what we do. But it's interesting you said something there about you build a team for the 80%, not the 15%. Funny enough, when I'm building something in my mind, I'm building a team for the very best teams to beat them. Because if you can beat them, mm. you can beat anybody else. And so I'm thinking, is you that know true what? though? Like, like, 
Okay, sorry. Finish your thought. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm looking. To, I'm saying to myself, okay, I think we can beat Chelsea home and away. I think we can. I think we have. We've shown that we can do it. I think Easy, we'll. Yep. I think we can beat Spurs home and away. I think we can. Manchester United. We've played the badge in that away game. We should have beaten them. We are. We are fortunate in home games. We play that for a fifty-fifty split. But Liverpool, Man City, to me, we have to build a team to beat them. That's what we got to do. Because if we're doing that, anything else will be fine. Right? And for, so build a team to beat them. Build a team that says, when Liverpool look at our front line, they're not pressing on to us. Build a team against Man City. Okay, we had Man City. We were beating them fair and square in, in the home game. In the away game, they smashed us, right? But in the, in the home game, we had them. We were showing how to beat them. We lacked a little bit of quality. We had the quality. I think we can take them. But Liverpool, we're not close. So that's the team we have to build a team for. We have to have the ability to keep it under pressure. We have to have the speed to stretch them into wide areas. Look at how Madrid played them, how they kept their wingers on the absolute extremities, exactly what we tried to do. They sustained it. They sustained it. They scored the first goal. They controlled the story. And they had the midfield brains and ingenuity to hold the ball for longer than one pass when the Liverpool counter-press came onto them because they were smart individuals. They knew what they were doing. They had their central time. They had their... they had. Vinicius and I think Carvalho on the right-hand side. Mm-hmm. Wonderful, wonderful tactics. Build a team to beat Liverpool and we'll be absolutely fine. So whether that's your, not say your way or my way, but I don't dismiss the tall forward option, mate. That's what I'm trying to say, really. No, fair enough. I, my, my only counterpoint would be Tottenham Hotspur, who mm-hmm. are shit and mm-hmm. get battered everywhere they go. Manchester City took zero points off them this season and Liverpool mm-hmm. took two. Um, they have the perfect team to go beat those big teams because their counterattacking is extraordinary. They have a focal point and they have a runner. But, you know, the teams that defend give them they trouble. I, I don't want to get too... They got, yeah. they got lucky yeah. against C. And by oh, the way, I, wa- I watch... the best teams though, right? A little bit. I mean, Real Madrid got lucky against Liverpool. <laughs> yeah, I watch something that people don't talk enough about, that Harry Kane is massive. He is yeah. massive. I watched him line up for England. He's the other a massive day. bellend. I agree. Yeah. Uh, he he's taller than he's taller than Jordan Pickford. Saint Andrew's goalkeeper, the yeah. captain. He's broader than him. He, I think, he was the heaviest player. I'm not saying he's he's overweight or anything like that, but he was he was the heaviest player in the last Euros. He, that's literally they weigh, they have all their stats. Mm. This guy is a unit. He's a muscle. Yeah packed unit of power that you can play up to that you can't get around he's their tall forward yeah right but we don't we don't see him as that because he does other things well because his technical level is incredibly high and he's yeah he's their tall forward he's got a banging shot so okay so so can i i love what you're saying there and i think this makes the point i love a tall forward if the tall forward is good at fo- you know kareem benzema is a tall forward yeah but he's a fantastic effing football like i think the problem is there's this the, like belief that you can get a tall forward who's less good at football and the fact that they are tall will compensate for it and yeah. what i would say is i love a tall forward but like we had a tall forward in olivier Giroud, and olivier Giroud did a lot of good things but there I don't think he ever got more than what sixteen goals in a season. He he went through long streaks where he wouldn't score. He couldn't beat a center back to the ball. He he preferred to lay the ball off than take a shot. And like so, he did a lot of good things for us. And he was a good plan B, but we had him as a plan A. If you're going to have a tall forward, I still think they have to be all around. They can't the just roles. see themselves as a battering ram. I yeah. totally agree. Yep. And yep. that's a very good phrase. All around, they got to be quick. 
They've got to be they've got to be able to look after the ball if they go to the touchdown. They've got to be able to look after the ball there. They can't just be a a post up merchant. You know, it can't just be that because we're going to want something that, else. That's why City are getting Erling Holland, right? Because exactly. he's not just big. He's also really good at all the other stuff, scarily he, enough. He, he moves, okay. he runs. And I think there are trends in football yeah, that come along, right? City going to get a tall forward. Uh, Liverpool potentially looking at Darwin Nunes or Manchester United, another tall forward that can run. Let's see what we talk about in three, four months' time. There could be a couple, yep. two or three tall fours coming to the league what if Calvert-Lewin either comes to us or goes to Newcastle? Newcastle a bit more high profile, tall forward leading their attack. Let's see. Let's see, right? Football goes through trends. Let's see what we're talking about in three, four months' time. It wouldn't surprise me if we see a lot more people playing up to people over presses and playing up to people and starting from there. Right? There's nothing wrong with it. The game is made up of different shapes and sizes. Yeah, and I mean, it's interesting, right? Because... It, like. The one thing that size does give you is predictability. Like a tall, powerful guy isn't going to come to your team and stop being tall and powerful. But if he's not good enough, he's not good enough. And I think about the Andy Carroll transfer to Liverpool years back. Like he was tall. He was big. He gave us fits in the air. He just wasn't good enough at football to take them where they wanted to go. He wasn't good enough at football. Um, See him as enablers. Enablers for others. Look at our our core youngsters. You know, our, our, our fantastic four. They're all... Punchy middleweights, right? They're punchy middleweights. We're gonna we got Eddie on top of that. That's five. Another punchy middleweight. You know, if we had Jesus, that's six. Punchy technical middleweights. We we've got room. We got room. I'll give you so I'm going. Example. Like Saka, who's tiny, He's not really, does not mate. get bullied. He's a bully. He'll stick no. his backside into you. You can't get around it. He Saka's will roll you. Up. I mean, like. Yeah. Oh, sure. But I'm, I mean, that's that's the thing, right? Like, if if I think about players that are hard to get around, that can hold the ball up, that have physicality in their lower torso, like it's not just the big, tall jumpers. And like, no. sometimes smaller players are are great in the air and, and you know yeah. can jump if, over. When I say so. tall forward, I'm looking for someone who can who can dash, that can run, that can shoot, that can make run movements in the box. And challenge people, not just stand there and say, stick it up to me on my chest. Like, we're not talking Chris Wood here. Do you see what I mean? That's not what I'm looking at. I'm looking at runners. Darwin Nunes was, I think he's one of the fastest three players in Champions League last year. He can run. And Van yep. Dyke said he was the most difficult centre forward he's played against because he ran yep. him. Because he ran yep. him. Now he's six foot three, right? But he runs. So I'm saying to you, just because they're tall, don't limit them into being a flick-on merchant or post-on, post-up merchant. Do you know what I mean? Agreed, as long as they have more about their game. I mean, look, it, it's just remember, if you're getting someone who's big, just make sure they can play. And if you're getting someone for dodgeball, remember the five Ds of dodgeball. Dodge, duck, <laughs> dip, dive, and dodge. You're going to need all of them. Um, I love okay, that feel. There's a couple more here, and, and, and like there's, there's a couple really good ones that I like. And this is an interesting one from Ahmed, who we actually met uh, on our special day at the Emirates. And he says, seems to always happen. So which of the traditional, in quotes, top six teams will have a car crash league campaign this coming campaign? United being United, Chelsea with unknowns and chaos, Conte with a meltdown, Liverpool burnout, Arsenal stagnation. They're all on the cards. This season it was United. We've seen it be Chelsea. We've rarely seen it be City. Liverpool, you know, they they, they <clears throat> may have an age curve burnout kind of issue coming on. So if you had to predict... And we, it could be us. If you had to predict a car crash league campaign from one of the big six next season, where do you see it happening? 
It, it could be us, but I, I don't think so. If we if we keep adding smartly, um, and another thing that we have in our in our locker is that young players tend to get better, you know. And we've got that in our locker. Mm-hmm. We are the youngest team by a mile, so that will that will improve. I got a little hunch for Chelsea. I think they're going to want the new owners are going to want to impress. But they're losing some fundamental pillars to that team. You know, in, you know, Rudiger, he's their best defender. And he just walked Christensen. away. Christensen. Christensen just walking away. Mm. Kante's not quite the player he was. He's not rubbish, but he's not quite the player he was. Jorginho had a really busy time. Maybe he's topped out a little bit, you know. Um, I watched Mason Mount play for England. Crikey, I don't know what I don't know what he is. Um, Ziyech is rumours of him going. Lukaku, we know that situation is not positive. You know, Werner. Yeah. Um, Werner, he's got a bit to do. I do like Havertz. I think it's a smooth player. But what's his role? Given Lukaku's come in, what's his role? And so there's a few challenges in that team. You know, Reece James, a little bit injury prone, good player. Um, Let's see what happens there. Alonso, again, he's been there a long time now. He's not improving. You know, Chilwell, big injury, big injury. Could take time to come back from. I look at them, I think, you know what? They need investment. It's crazy we're saying that about a team that had £1.5 billion of investment over the last 19 years. They're sort of at the rebuild stage, though. They, they, they are. kind of back themselves into a rebuild. <laughs> they need they need a new a new way. It's interesting how teams go through cycles, right? It wouldn't be wouldn't surprise me we get to Christmas and Tuchel is thinking, well maybe this isn't for me. You know, things change very, very quickly in football, right? So Chelsea are going to be interested to see what they do, see how they attract, what their new model's going to be, see how they're going to sell themselves going forward. Marina Gravaskaya, the rumors of her going or she's gone. And she's the brainchild of the operation. Um, so, yeah, Chelsea are ones to watch. And let's see if somebody picks off somebody from their team. You know, what if Bayern Munich come in for Havertz, for example? Something, someone big goes. We should see if, how strong Chelsea's foundations really are. You're going to like my answer because I think it'll be Tottenham. I look at that team mm-hmm. and I say they are carried by two critical players. One turning 30 this summer, one turning 29 who has dodgy ankles, and the one turning 29 had a, had a great season, but more in the mold of provider. And he is going to be carrying the weight of England at a World Cup this coming season, which is an extraordinary burden and has imploded good, good players show. in the past. Um, those two players, even if they're 20% worse than they were this season, I don't see where they get the extra oomph. Is Youngman Son at 30 going to come back and have another golden boot season? Is Harry Kane at 29 on his ankles going to come back with a World Cup and and you know be able to be the, the versatile do-everything player? They have the added burden of Champions League, which they didn't have, which means less rotation in midweek for those critical players. Yep. Conte, you cannot convince me that's where he wants to be. And so I think if they go through a downturn, it will be a distraction. He's doing what he does, loading them with older players so that he can walk away with a, a disaster. I mean, Perisic, really? Is that what they needed? I don't know. So I think they have a potential between the Conte sort of transients there and the aging 
goal scoring that they have up front. I mean, I think Kulishevsky's a fine player. I don't think he's a sensational player. I think he's a fine player. I think he's good. Yeah, I like uh, but I, yeah, I could, I, I'll put it, yeah, I like him. I don't, I just don't, he's not Son and Kane. I think if they get an injury to one of those two players or if one of those two players drops their level, I don't know how they compensate for that. With Champions League and the World Cup, I think that could be an issue. So that would be mine. And that leads to the question, AFC. Yeah, thank you. Well, rooting Tottenham having a collapse is always a good show. No one's going to argue with me there. So for once, I have a take that everybody's going to like. AFC Schwinn on Twitter, Schwinn says, thoughts on how this World Cup affects the season. How do you prepare for something like that? I think the five subs rule and the mid mid-season World Cup the Winter World Cup, create, once again, for Mikel and for everybody else, a stunningly unique season. There were the co- you know the COVID interruption and Project Restart. There were the no fans in the stand season. Now we have five subs in a Winter World Cup. Just one regular season of Barclays will never happen. Um, how, how do you think it affects it? How do you think the, the Winter World Cup affects recruitment, usage of players, thinking through where you want to be when the stoppage occurs and how you want to get through it and pick back up on the other side. Because I I can't even begin to think about how the mindset shifts. I think One thing I, I will say, Clive, when that World <laughs> Cup starts coming up, well, th- yeah, I know, I know I'm doing it. Um, when that World Cup starts coming up, Clive, how many players, you know, maybe you have a Gabriel Jesus and he's had an amazing season and you know, the headlines are saying Gabriel Jesus looks poised to retake center forward role for Brazil. And now you're going to, you know, Newcastle away a week before the World Cup break comes up. Are those players going to be ready for the fight? You know what I mean? It's it's yeah. a really touch and go kind of thing that's going to happen for some of these players that carry their nation's hopes on their shoulders. How do you trust them when that when that break is coming up? That's why we should go for Skamaka, right? Because he's not going to the World Cup. <laughs> so, go for players uh, who aren't good enough to play for their country. Oh, or, or countries that aren't yeah, good enough. Exactly. Cup, yeah. So Skamaka's now he's number nine and he's played the last two games. And I and so yeah, he'll be nicely focused. Hey, look, it's a very good point. I think it's the same for everybody with the World Cup. However, the five sub rule is gonna change football for me. And it's all gonna be about the power of the squad. Well, you know, the squad is everything now. And there are some of those top teams, well, basically Man City, that can really rotate and no one seems to mind. But mm-hmm. I think the power of rotation, the ability to come off the bench. The first time I saw this, the subs bench being used really, really smartly, was Fergie, actually, in 99. When he had the York and Cole, we had Solskjaer and Shainham. And when you played Manchester United, you had to beat them twice. Because you beat the first team, the other two would come on. He had to beat them. And it had a significant psychological drain on the opposition. You literally had to beat them twice. And I think if you're smart with your bench, you're smart with your balance of profiles of players, there could be a situation where with Arsenal, you've got to beat us twice. You know, if you're, if our first set doesn't work offensively, we bring on others. This is why I hope we do invest in forwards. And we do invest in people that realise this is a squad game. And we need them to be on board. We need them to realise their moment will come. In any game, there's a good chance you're going to play. You may not play the full game, but you're going to play a lot of football. This is the same for Sleeper as well. In the back line, we may end the games sometimes with, rather than Rob Holding coming on, it could be Saliba coming on or, or somebody else coming yep. on. And you're suddenly ending the game in a slightly different system, a different way. I think, you know, football is a sport 
where we massively load a lot of blame onto the coach or the manager. And I felt that, unlike in other sports, the manager can't really do much with substitutions. He can't change things. You need to save a sub for an injury. That means you're making two changes out of a team of 11 over one over 90 minutes of action. The five sub allows the coach to really influence the event. It, it really does. You've got to be smarter in your build, on your squad building, and you've got to be smarter in your changes. You've got to be smarter in your rotation. And this is something that I think Arteta's got to develop and get better at. Uh, I think he was quite good in the five sub era, but we need to get better at his rotation, with particularly Europe. I know you agree with that. Yeah. I can't wait to see how the five subs are used. I can't wait to see what the trends are and how we develop. I really can't. Yeah, they're, they're going to need to be used really effectively. They're going to obviously be a potential advantage for the bigger teams with the better resources and the deeper squads, and we need to leverage that, certainly. Um, you know, I think one thing we can do to help ourselves, too, is b- get leads, get bigger leads, stay on top of teams early so that late we can rotate guys like Saka out, we can rotate guys like Party out with a two-goal lead at the 70th minute or a three-goal lead at the 65th minute, you know, whatever the case may be. So... And it'll be interesting to see how it happens. I think the World Cup, unfortunately, look, when there's chaos, chaos can break for you or it can break against you. There's zero ability to predict it, right? I mean, if you're a Tottenham fan, first of all, what the hell is wrong with you? But if you are, and there's two games left to play going into the World Cup break, and they're big games, and you need them, is Harry Kane going to give his all? 90 minutes, both games? fighting for every second ball the way he normally does when England are calling in 10 days. Uh, You know, I mean, I think that's going to be a really interesting subplot. And I guarantee you, you're going to see stories right before the World Cup break of fans fume after so-and-so player seems to give, you know, dispassionate performance on the brink of World Cup break. You know what I mean, Clive? Those stories are going to be out there. And coming back, you know, in in previous years, we've seen players come back, particularly from African nations. They don't show for a while, right? And uh, we've seen it with Aubameyang. Did Aubameyang get malaria one time when he came back from a tournament? Yep. Yep. And it cost us, right? It cost us. So this is all to come. The power of the squad. You know, it's really going to be such an interesting year and one that we can't really predict, right? And we, we can't predict football anyway, but the, there are rhythms in this season which are completely unique as you've highlighted. And, mate, I, I can't wait. I hope we're smart and sitting down and thinking about those game scenarios and how we're going to manage these moments. It's going to be so challenging and interesting. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I, I think... um I think there's just so much to happen between now and then that's going to be really exciting. And then it's almost going to be like the end of one season and the start of a new one after the World Cup. Um, and by the way, we'll have a World Cup daily right here on this feed for you. So oh, look forward wow. to that. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We got the heavy hitters. Phil Costa, of course, going to be involved in that. Am I going to be involved in that? I'm, 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 I'm just, um, uh, well, you know, we had a lot of people. One of their biggest transfer questions is, is, is there going to be a major transfer at the Arsenal Vision podcast? And, uh, you know, I, I, ju- I just want to say, those who know, 
don't talk and those who talk don't know. So we'll leave it at that. Um, all right, let, let's leave it there. Uh, Clive, I really enjoyed this conversation. Actually, I thought it was some brilliant questions. There's so many more good ones we could get to. So maybe we'll yeah. just hold them for the next episode. We'll be back on a regular schedule this week. So we'll have some scouting videos on the Patreon side. We'll have some of our AVP clips. If you haven't checked that out, it's cool. Actually, like Clive will record 10 minutes. Paul record 10 minutes. Tim will record 10 minutes. I'll record like 75 minutes and then we'll stitch it all together. <laughs> and it's just a good way to get like what's on our mind. Um, those of you who are patrons, like you have no idea how special that is for us because it's allowed us to add more things into, into the library and, and do more things that we wouldn't have been able to do in the past. And those of you who aren't, you have no idea how much we appreciate you being here. Like it is really cool that we can have a community of really just amazing people, whether you're there, whether you're here, whether you're in both places, whatever it happens to be. Um, we have a lot more ahead. We're going to, do some special episodes on the Academy of the Lonies. We're going to do the video reviews of the players from our own club this season. So stick with us. It should be a fun, fun summer. And, um, you know, obviously we'll have to keep up with all the signings. So that'll be going on as well. Clive's on Twitter, Clive PFC. Thanks, man. Thank you very much. My name is Alex Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. We just love you so much. Thanks for putting up with us and being here. Hope you enjoyed this one. We'll be back with more. We love you. And we will talk to you after Arsenal's hand transfer window nil. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.